Hello and welcome to the very 88th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the podcast about board games, the people who play board games, and the people who follow people who play board games around parks. In a friendly way, they just want to offer them some components to put into their mouths. My name is Matt Lees. I'm joined by Quentin Smith. Hello, Matt Lees. I feel uh, not, aroused is a strong word, but you're using your bedroom voice, and I've mm. just emerged from what I think could be England's most powerful shower. Yeah, you have a lot of fun in that shower. You're a bath man, and uh, I'm, I'm a shower man, but I've got a decent shower. We've also been dressing up as uh, lions and turtles. It's been an adventurous morning. Um, and now I'm now I'm switching into my radio voice. It won't last. I think it's just nice to intro something in a nice voice. Yeah, it's I like a, It's like you know, it's like having a warm cup of tea or a coffee in the morning. It's nice to just start something off with being like, "Hello, we're gonna listen to something nice now." And it won't be. It'll be me using my normal high pitched squeaky all over the place. Uh, exhilaration in in about five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I'm just loving the contrast between you using your radio voice and me realising that if I inhale through my nose, because I'm a bit sniffly today, it makes a really high-pitched sort of squeak <laughs> noise. So I'm just trying to like not completely undercut your professional. All right, that's fair. Today we're going to be talking about board games. We've played Cockroach Salad, which was just the dumbest, funniest thing we've played in a long time. We've played Neon Gods, a game of cool gangs in the distant future of 2007. We've played Men at Work, a dexterity game where men are at work and and sometimes they don't work. And yeah, and sometimes they leave the site quite rapidly because they're worried they're going to get into quite a lot of trouble. Or sued or killed. Um, I've played, and then we've, we're ending our little game segment with a series series of, uh, of Euro games, the brand of board games where players don't play together so much as struggle over a puzzle. Uh, I've played Targi, a game of tribes in the Sahara. You and I have played Lisboa, a game mm-hmm. of rebuilding Portugal and looking at so many rules. Uh, and, and we're going to end this one with a little discussion of Blackout Hong Kong, the new mm. des- game from the designer of uh, Great Western Trail and Isle of Sky and other lovely games. And do you know what, Matt? He's ruddy done it again. He's done it again. It is a good game. Alexander Two Fisters in the Air. Hooray. Uh, yeah, Alex- his actual name is Alexander Fister, which is, I think, even more entertaining than the joke you just made. Yeah, I know. I try to, yeah. What a great name. It's a fantastic name. Let's talk about a tiny little box that came out, oh, like almost 10 years ago called Cockroach Salad. Mm. So we played this after Shucks at the volunteer party and, oh boy, because we've talked about a fabulous little game called Cockroach Poker a lot. And you can just Google Shut Up and Sit Down Cockroach Poker to find our coverage on that. But then I found out that Cockroach Poker, uh, the company that make it, actually have a whole range of what is called in German the Ugly Animals line. Um, so I ordered all of them now and I'm just going to play them and you can look forward to coverage of that on Shut Up and Sit Down over the next few years, including uh, their latest game, Woodlouse Chaos, which involves slapping the table and clapping. I'm so excited. Oh my God. They are great games. Yeah. So, well, as we're finding out now. Yeah. So Cockroach Salad is twinned with a game called Cockroach Soup. They both basically work in the same way. Uh, and how would you describe this? Well, you're yawning, so I'm in there. It's hell. I mean, it's <laughs> hell in a, in, a, in a really fun way. Yes. It has a lot in common with old drinking games I've played. So It has uh, a lot in common with Cockroach Poker in that it's not really a game where you're trying to win. It's a game where you are just so relieved when someone else screws up. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's the kind of the, the resounding theme of the two games, I think. It's true. So salad and soup work in the same way. Everyone has a deck of cards. The deck is dealt out between all of your players and everyone takes turns dealing a card into the middle. You flip a card and put it in the middle. So let's say cockroach salad, right? Mm-hmm. You flip a card and it's a, it's a tomato. Then you have to say, tomato. And then Matt flips flip a, card. a card. It's a lettuce. So I say, lettuce. And the next person flips a card. It's also a lettuce, which means they say, uh, a cauliflower. Because if you flip... If if your card matches the previous card, you have to lie about what you flip. Yeah, you have to say a different thing. So but if you flip two tomatoes in a row, the second tomato has to be either a lettuce or a cauliflower. But also the same rule applies that you have to lie if what you would say would match what the previous person said. So you can't ever have two people say the same thing twice. Yeah. Yes. So if you lie and say cauliflower, then I flip a card and it's actually a cauliflower, I still can't say cauliflower. Yeah, you have to then say something else. Then you get <laughs> cards that are like the forbidden words. Yeah. And this is the big difference between uh, soup and salad. And this is why I might recommend soup more, although I think it's harder to find. So when you flip a card and it's got like a tomato with an X through it in cockroach mm-hmm. salad, that means you can't say... Uh, can't say the word tomato, no. no matter what. And you have to say cockroach and you start a new pile, but where you always have to lie about tomatoes, great. However, and this is why soup is better, um, if you um, flip a card and it's like, a oh no, there's a cockroach in the soup, you can't say parsnip or whatever in cockroach soup. I hope this makes sense to people listening at home. Rather than being like cockroach, as you do in cockroach salad, you instead have to slurp the soup and taste it. You go... <laughs> So if you flip a card with an X through it, you go and then start a new pile and then you can't say whatever has the forbidden vegetable anymore. However, best rule in the game, if you flip two cards that are X's, so I flip an X that means I can't say parsnip, then you flip a card that means you can't say potato, but we have to go back to the original pile. I go and you have to go, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. It's, a, it's pretty great. That's amazing. But of course, and then yeah, we've we've missed the lead here. As you're building up these big piles, as everyone's saying the right thing, if anyone hesitates or misspeaks or yeah. stutters, then they have to take all of the cards and they add them to their deck. First person to actually empty their deck wins. Yeah, so when we played, it was very much, we played with six people and uh, Pip won just because she was the only person who didn't have to pick up any cards. She just like, didn't screw up. And that's it. Like, I, I didn't have... Every time I screwed up, I screwed up with quite a small amount of cards and it was a huge relief. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I only have to pick <laughs> up four. Because as these decks start to fill up, like, it gets to a point when it's like, when there's 20 or 30 cards down, you think, if I have to pick these up, I've lost. Yeah, like, there's exactly. no way I'm coming back. Which from is that. beautiful because the game doesn't get that much harder as the stacks increase. Although there's reasons it gets easier to screw up later, but uh, it's the it's the mounting tension. Yeah, everyone when it gets through to them is going, please no, please no, yeah. please no. Which is wonderful because it means rather in the opposite of what we've just been talking about of like you know the the traditional good etiquette of games of going ah oh, so sorry when somebody says the wrong thing. Like at least three or four people are very quick to go oh, and start start pushing the cards toward that person because you don't. You, it's not that you're pushing them to them; it's just you're pushing them away from you. Yeah, going, yeah, this isn't me. This is you. And I think we we figured this out about um a little game called a huge game called Galaxy Trucker a while back. That a lot of comedy and laughter in board games comes from relief. It comes from players laughing because they go oh oh that could have happened to me and didn't yeah. and that is why cockroach salad is the most i've laughed playing a board game in a long time it was it was very good and uh, watching people repeatedly messing up i remember actually there was a point where one of the ladies we were playing with uh, was she kept messing up and she was picking up so many cards and i was like oh dear like is this someone having a bad time but then halfway through she's like i'm buying this now like okay good because i was like is this fun for you because i'm having a lot of fun laughing at you but 
but yeah it was it was it's just fabulous there's not really much to say about it but in terms of a little light game that made us laugh a lot and also that i then as soon as we finished it at the volunteer party i went and found six more people just taught them to yeah i just because i just wanted to teach it and i introduced it by saying i'm going to start teaching this now as I, uh, there will come points in the rules explanation where you realize you don't want to play this, but you have to now. <laughs> and so, yeah, and sure enough, there was a point where I was like, now you have to lie if this happens, you have to lie if this happens. Or if this happens, then the whole table went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, just lovely stuff. So that's cockroach salad, also available as cockroach soup. Uh, hey, now we're going to talk about a big, exciting release. We're going to talk about Neon Gods by Plaid Hat Games. Yeah. And my goodness, this was this was a box we were really excited to get our hot little hands on. Yeah. And we can now say, I think, easily that Plaid Hat have secured their position in being the best world builders in board games, the best sort of um, the best creators of universes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because my God, the art, the writing, the high concept of Neon Gods is just lovely. Um, this is a game where, uh, yeah, you play gangs, right? Yes. So you play uh, Neon Gangs, and you've got these wonderfully bright coloured neon plastic figurines, and you have a city grid with a beautiful board it's like not quite it's isometric but it's isometric as if it's a fisheye lens which means rather than being like all the buildings going in one direction they kind of sprawl out as if you've got a cool big wide angle lens looking down at the start and the perspective all shifts which is beautiful and exciting and it's it's kind of an odd game like it's a bit of an area control game a bit of a deck builder you've got some dice for combat and the the cards that you use in your deck builder are the kind of gang members that you use, and they're sometimes used to do actions, but then they're sometimes used to resolve fights. You want to take control of areas. You've got to just kill androids that are like kind of NPCs. The, the police basically are holding areas, and so you've got to move your gangs in, uh, kill the robot police to take over an area, but then other people jostling and moving around. And there's some wonderful thing in there. Like there's the the beautiful thing. Probably my favourite thing about the game is the inclusion of owls. <laughs> the fact yeah. that you can disrupt gangs by just sending a bunch of owls. I to mean, their yeah. Sector. So it could have been so easily, as we saw with like Clank in Space, just a sort of uh, haze of references. And there are references in Neon Gods because this is a kind of. Uh, the future as seen through the late 1980s kind yeah. of way, uh, or the or sort of 1990s. Um, so, it, you know, within the gangs, the beautifully illustrated card, because every card is a unique illustrated gangster with a cool name. Like, there's a lot of references there as yeah, well. Yeah, there's Freddie Mercury, there's He-Man, there's Conan, yeah. Rambo. Yeah, there's uh, Clockwork Orange uh, guy, but it's a woman. Um, and yeah, it's it's so it could have just been like this sort of generic chill wavy um like oh laser dragon 80s thing but it's not it actually feels like a self-contained universe the little tiny preamble there's no writing in the game aside from about three paragraphs at the beginning that's like oh you've got to be the biggest fish on these mean streets but it's full of slang that the writers it's made up that really kind of silly fits it's like, silly in a really fun way and it's an odd pastiche of like 70s 80s and 90s the kind of futurism but like but tonally consistent like yeah. i get really annoyed when you flip a card and it's a reference and it's a reference that doesn't fit but this does kind of feel plausible that all of the be- all of these gorgeous little gang members that you're buying and acquiring and putting in your deck they feel almost like not references but people you know you you uh, no. look at this look, <laughs> pausing. that's fine but yeah, i yeah. i really felt that like 
I don't know. I felt there was, there was life and anima in. in I thought there was the life in the. Um, yeah, no, I thought the illustrations were great. I thought there was life in the world. Um, I didn't feel like there was a lot of character to it outside of the setting, but in terms of world building, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I felt the same with um, Crystal Clans. Um, it's but I, unfortunately, which was the previous Plaid Hat game. Yeah, that was a head to head battle, which had some amazing kind of sort of inventive faction building and world building. Um, we didn't get on with Crystal Clans really at all no uh this i i didn't dislike but i didn't really like it either and unfortunately i feel like that's kind of increasingly what i'm finding with plaid hat games is that i really 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 want to like them because i really love so much what they've done um with the theming and the aesthetic and the thought behind everything that ties it together but then i just find the games themselves i don't really gel with i don't really engage with and i think that with neon gods in particular the 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 biggest thing really was, you know, we, we can go into a lot of detail about why, but fundamentally it's a game where you take it in turns to go through a bunch of actions and it's not, you, it's, it, you, I found myself just looking at my phone, which is something I don't really do when I'm playing games. Yeah, because when it's not my turn, I like to watch what people are doing. But in this, there are so many reasons why. But the pacing of it just fell off. Yeah, it is definitely curiously slow. Uh, we played with three and we were all just sat because it plays two to four. And I was just thinking, you know, oh my gosh, this is because we were all checking our phones or having conversations with three, with four of you. And I wasn't, slower. I wasn't, thing is, it wasn't even that slow. I wasn't, I wasn't even that bored. Each person's go is only a couple of minutes. There wasn't a huge degree of like analysis paralysis, people getting stuck and going, I don't know what to do. It was just that. Um, because people are playing with cards that are in a hidden hand and because they've kind of slightly tweaked their deck and other stuff, I didn't really, I wasn't focused on it enough or didn't see the need to be focused on it enough to really be looking at other people's discard piles and working out what they could have in their hands and really keeping a good track of what, because I don't think there are really any deck builder games aside from that are like aside from head to head ones where you're really keeping a strong eye on exactly what's in someone's deck. Yeah, absolutely. Like you've got some exceptions like maybe um with Arctic Scavengers when you know someone has a sniper. But that's it. You know you know a bit of information. You don't you don't think, oh what are the odds of them having good combat dice for this? Yes. You just think I know they've got that and I'm worried about that and that's about it. It felt very kind of um bouncy but like by which i mean like it do- it didn't have a lot of like hard edges you know you had a fight that was particularly frustrating for you i had a cool factory that was producing briefcases full of drugs or something um and you tried to take it and you failed but and this is maybe an interesting point to mention um neon gods is actually based on city of remnants which shut up and sit down has reviewed it's a review that paul and i did a while back that i still think like i had a lot of fun filming that review had a load of fun jokes we really liked city of remnants and i was so happy that neon gods has taken this old design that didn't sell that we liked and breathed like made it even more gorgeous new setting re- refined the rules a little bit but and i can i can see why they removed so many of the hard edges from city of remnants because in city of remnants every fight you lose someone dies you lose a card permanently that's gone in city of remnants the police randomly showed up and raided the board that's gone and it's gone because these were these were unpleasant rough things but they were also cool ideas and what you get with neon gods is you know and i'm not saying this it's designed maybe for a different audience it's softer but to get back to the original story I was saying, when you tried to attack this factory, you lost and then kind of nothing happens. It just meant you attacked again next turn and you failed again. Then you attacked again and you won. But even when you won, I didn't really mind. It was a game of not 
hugely minding what was happening. Yeah, I didn't feel like super invested. And uh, I think it was the fact that you have, because you've got this area control, you know, I had this big block of area that I was in control of. And then because the nature of the combat being then about, you know, drafted cards, not drafted cards, sorry, um, you know, your your deck of cards and your um, dice that you're going to use from them, it meant that, like, it didn't, it just, the area control didn't really make sense to me because it was this thing of, like, well, I've got this massive army of people here and I've got these two dudes who just keep turning up on the edge of it and I cannot seem to fight them. I cannot seem to win. And it's just because I was getting unlucky with dice and that's fine. But when you've got an area control game that doesn't really feel like area control and then you've got a deck building game where, you know, you don't actually, you're not adding, you can only add a maximum of nine cards to your deck throughout the whole game, I think. Yeah, yeah, Maybe slightly right. more. And you start with six, yeah. Um, and you can't really remove them from your deck either. It didn't really feel like a deck builder. It didn't really feel like an area control game. And then you've got the dice, which didn't, you know, didn't feel like a dice game either. So it just felt like it was it was fine. It was quite gentle. I think it was one of those games whereby um, I wasn't bored when it wasn't my turn, but I wasn't really engaged. And when I got attacked, I didn't really have any sense of whether or not it was a big deal um, because there wasn't any, you know, you didn't have people with secrets up their sleeves of like, what are they going to do? It was just they turned up and then you all rolled some dice and maybe you won, maybe they won. And sometimes there were things where the odds were very much in your favor, but sometimes it just didn't seem to matter. Yeah, I think that maybe your feelings might be different to mine, but I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's not necessarily something something I would buy, but I was enjoying it enough that when Clark mentioned that he had to leave early, I was like, oh, really? I wanted to see how the game worked out. I didn't not enjoy any moments of it. I think it's like, this is kind of unfair because the art and the, the the setting is so good and we wanted to like it so much that all we can do now is be like, oh, why didn't it Why didn't it work for us? Why, why? Which means we're just listing all these criticisms when actually, I mean, I like this more than most games that we get sent. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. It's it, The difficult thing, I guess, when we have when we talk about games is that we're not even going to talk about games on a podcast unless they are of a certain level of quality. Yeah, like um, the top 10% of stuff yeah, that gets exactly. released. Yeah, exactly. So it's not exactly like, you know, horrible criticism. But at the same time, it, it was just for me, I didn't really engage with it. It didn't really have any bite. It didn't really have any rules within it that uh, felt exciting. And I felt like when I was doing badly, it wasn't usually if I'm getting screwed over you in a game. You did win the game. Yeah, I know. But I didn't feel like that. I just felt like, I don't know. It's it's odd. I, I felt like I, I just wasn't super engaged with it. And I was just sort of doing things. Um, I, it was disappointing to me because I, 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 I don't know. I, but I can see I've never played City of Remnants, but I felt like maybe you know, obviously, you know, don't keep all of that stuff. But maybe some strange toothiness or some strange stuff could have could have uh, brought it to life a little bit more for me. Sure, sure. Because I felt like there was a disconnect, you know. And I felt like, and I found the same thing with uh, Crystal Clans. Really, you've got this amazing setting, this amazing world, and then this game, but. I don't feel like uh, it ties together that much, you know. I feel like it doesn't doesn't make me more excited about the world. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on Neon Gods. How you can tell from reading the manual that it's been designed with expansions in mind, mm-hmm. through, like you know, a couple of those weird things of like, why would they do that unless there's expansions? There could be some really interesting stuff in there. Yeah, so I think I'm going to hang on to my copy of Neon Gods and see if they release expansions for it, and then I'll, I'll give it a shot because yeah, maybe a bit more uh, an idea that really pops or something that gives it some teeth or something that makes me truly excited could mean it's a game I go back to over and over. I tell you what, though, it's made me. More more excited for Gen 7, um, just because it uh, reminds the, the me... The Plaid Hat game coming next. Yes, which is uh, with story elements and it's kind of a narrative campaign that can go off in different ways about being on a a uh, 
basically what's it called a terra not a terraforming ship. Oh, a, a generation ship. A generation a ship, ship where people can have kids and those kids can grow up on a spaceship in a horrible zoo. Yeah, and I think that was really interesting because it actually managed to have like um, a pretty decent seeming like core game tied in with narrative in between. Um, I think obviously it seems to have learned from some of the mistakes of stuff fables in terms of having too much of a, a blend of rules and uh, story on the same documents. And um, I think that that's where Plaid Hat really still shine in terms of storytelling and world building. And I'm excited for more of that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, let's talk about something that we can agree is completely awesome. Let's talk about men at work. Men at work. These boys, and it it did seem to be largely boys apart from the the lady boss who turns up and then can give you, you get, awards. You, well, here's the thing. Men at work is a guy is a game designed by a woman, at which point, hey, you can have as many men in your game as you want. I don't care. It's allowed. It's about uh, some construction men doing a really bad job and trying not to be the worst at it. You are effectively building up this structure with these big wooden sticks. It's a dexterity game. It's it like is. you are physically building a physical structure, and if anything collapses or falls off the structure on your turn... Quite oh, right. <laughs> I you... buried the lead there. <laughs> <laughs> buried the lead as a bad foundation. Yep. Uh, yeah, but so on your turn, you have to add a big wooden piece to the structure. Or another little workman. And a little workman? What's he carrying, Matt? He's got a brick and a piece of wood, and they both need to be balanced on either of his arms. And boy, these arms seem slippery. Why do these boys <laughs> oil themselves? up before going to work yeah so seems th- like a bad idea this is actually the next game from pretzel games uh who made uh the great game of flick em up a game mm-hmm. of cowboys shooting little wooden bullets at each other they also made the great dexterity game of junk art uh which we reviewed a while back and you know what you know what you heard it here first the third game it's a hat trick they've made three great dexterity games because man at work is awesome it's really good um i think i it might be my favorite so far of their of their games yeah i think that their games are great but i really like the rule set in this and i know that's stupid but you know i think the rules are interesting and fun and i think they've put a lot of thought into hanging together like flick em up is a game that we should love but um and i haven't played enough junk art actually so i've got to say like you know it's not but but flick em up is a really fun box of things but then you need to take the basic rules of it which are fun and fine and just ditch all the campaign stuff when in this there's so many details about it. It has way more rules than I expected, but you don't need to know them all, and you can learn them as you go, and they're all in- really interesting yeah, it's and really a, fun. Because it's, it's, it, when the game starts and you've set up a foundation of just like a few coloured girders on a few supports, and you know maybe you use the big crane the game comes with and put that in the middle of the table, it's one of those games that immediately players can see it from about 20 feet and be like, What's that? Yeah. And then you come over and, you know, it, you can, like you say, it, it was a really fun game for the rules explanation because the rules explanation is all funny. It's like, here are your three safety certificates. If you lose them, you're fired. <laughs> Which is how it works. I actually, I, I, when I was teaching this game, I introduced it to everyone like they'd all showed up at a building site and were just incredibly underqualified. You were a really bad foreman on that regard. Uh, um, yeah, it was great. But it'll tell you, so you'll draw a card and it'll, it will, you'll either have to, they'll, each card will either have an instruction for what you have to do if the next card on the back of it has a man or a girder. So it'll be either place a girder or place a man. It'll be like, place a man and then he has to be carrying a brick. Or place two men. Or place a man and it has to be on the edge of a girder. Or place, pla- place two men and they have to have a beam that they are both carrying kind of like on their shoulders. That one looks hard. Or, you know, place a girder, but it has to be resting on a purple girder. Or place a girder and it has to be perfectly balanced on the middle of a girder and cannot be touching anything else. And a lot of this stuff was amazing because you'd sometimes get stuff that was just really easy. Because obviously it has no way of knowing what your current state is. Yeah. But then other times you get things that would be hellish. We built some sort of 
vertical triangular hellscape. We built it, we got a massive uh, sort of tent, basically. It was like, a real Like mass. a marquee made of girders. But because about halfway through the game, the foreman turns up and everyone wants to impress her, it has this thing of being like, if you play something and it is the highest piece currently, then you get a rosette. And the winner at the end of the game, if everyone hasn't been knocked out by being fired for losing all of their safety <laughs> certificates, is the person with the most rosettes. Or if you get four, then you win, right? Yeah, something like that. So it means that people are then trying to do things that make things high. But often, that just means they're like placing things really, really nodgily. And watching you, just desperate for rosettes, trying to lean another girder upon the girder that was already leaning really high, <laughs> was insanity. Particularly because, and this is the rule that's just wonderful and silly and makes a lot of sense. Instead of it being a game where, and this is the thing you love most about it, I think, instead of it being a game where it ends when things fall over, yeah. it doesn't. When things fall over, if it's your turn when things fall over, then you lose the safety certificate, and the next player uses this wonderful like metal hook thing that they can use to get things from underneath the structure, cleans the site. Yes, because obviously it needs to be a safe site. It does. With all these men balancing precariously on girders with soaks. All the men and all things fall off. You you drag them out and you get a little hook and it's really fun. Cleaning it up, tidying up the site yeah. before you take your go is really fun. But also, if you cause what the manual calls another accident while cleaning the site, that you've lost a safety certificate. Yeah, so it's it's like, it's crazy that someone else causes this mess, but then you are liable <laughs> for cleaning up their mess safely. And then I think that's what is lovely about it is Often, when something collapses, it's really not your fault. Like, you as the foreman, you, you, well, you, I keep saying the foreman as if that's like a class in the game or a role. It's not. We were just pretending. But you kept doing insane things and leaving these really wobbly sites <laughs> and then being like, well, that's the end of my go. And then someone else has to do something. <laughs> do and then when it collapses, it's like, oh, no, you're... So yeah, I kept joking that every time I'd done something, it's like, right, I'm clocking off for the day and I'm never coming back to work well, ever that, again. That was the greatest turn I did where, uh, yeah, because I was desperate for a rosette because otherwise I would lose the game. So I had to do something to get a girder higher than yours. And I got the girder, uh, then what took my took my rosette and was like hooray now it's matt's turn and none of us touched the table but then the building collapsed it was you i believe uh, placing your rosette oh on that the table was it yeah no i put the token down with a sort of click clatch by putting a bit of pressure with my thumb so that when i removed my forefinger it would just make a noise it would just go click on the table and that click caused the entire building to collapse yeah but technically you'd already left the site you'd already <laughs> been awarded a rosette for your fantastic building work so we all immediately agreed that it wasn't your fault. Yeah, and then but you had to clean it up. It, but this is what was cute about it because like when you play Jenga, if someone takes their turn and does it, you're just like, ah. But there is a touch of co-op in Men at Work. Yeah, because you, because what you're building is so cool looking and visually arresting. When someone like places another red girder that you sort of almost like acts as another floor of the building, you're like, yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah. This and is when looking somebody cool. messes it up, you're like, what? Especially because when you leave something that's incredibly dangerous, as with you know Jenga or whatever, if you do something that really destabilizes the tower, yeah. there's a really good chance that actually it's going to come back around to you and then hubris is going to bite you. And it's yeah. the same with this. It's like, you can leave it really wobbly, but then what happens if everyone else is fine and then, oh, you come around and it's... So you... It, it has that lovely bite of being like, do you really want to do that? But often you just don't have a choice. It, it asks you to do things where you think, well, this is the only way I can carry this action out. Yeah, place a girder, weird. but balance it so both ends are in the air. But it was it was mad, and I realised it reminded me of brass. It reminded me of brass. What? And that was purely because because it has this cleanup phase where like you know all right you make you collectively make this really unstable say unsafe thing it's really stressful and then somebody messes it up and all half of it falls down yeah and they lose their safety certificate 
it it means it's like in the same way that like you have the second phase in brass where like oh, all of the area one stuff gets swept off the board and you get this kind of refreshing relief of like oh it's getting really complicated and then going ah now we get a fresh start it made me feel the same way and it's a totally different kind of game but it was that sense of rather than it being the finality of being like oh it's all collapsed oh that's it it being like oh it's partially collapsed oh that's great it means we can tidy this away and then you look at it and you go yeah a new start maybe this time our building will not be it will know it will be equally unsafe. It's just lovely. And the last thing I have to say is that uh, it has a really nice way of changing the difficulty because when you set up your like initial building site, you've got these three, you put down three or four or whatever, little grey support bricks, which are like really thick, big. They're the foundation for the building. Uh, but they're also sort of like rectangular, weird shapes. And to make it difficult, you just turn one or two of them to different heights. So Because if they're all at the same height, if they're all on the same side, then your building site will be nothing but flat girders to begin with. Mm-hmm. But in the expert version, if you turn them all to different sides, so one's on its end, one's on its side, one's flat, then all the girders initially are like sloped, which means putting a man on is hell. It was hell trying to get turn like, one. them to keep the little... Uh sticks of wood on their arms oh, the beams yeah doing that on a hill it'd be impossible yeah. sometimes i'm desperate to get better at it i hope this game has <laughs> a long and storied future where it's got you know what you know what it just has a touch of that like you know when you're a kid and you're collecting like play sets like if they release an expansion for this with like i don't know a little cement mixer or windows or whatever they're going to add for it yeah that's great it's like adding to my little collection of toys it's pure toys this one this game it is and i think also it's just one of those wonderful things where i think with pretzel games you're seeing this consistently they really just put so much thought into everything even the inlay for the box is this beautiful plasticky blue that just pops with all the colors of the pieces and the colors of the little plastic hats that the little wooden men wear but also it's designed in a way so that it has a lot of texture to it it has a lot of feel and it feels like a construction thing and a lovely thing is one of the variants in the game is oh yes the skyscraper yeah play using the like the box inlay as a foundation and what's wonderful about this is it means that you've actually got all of the all of the vacuum holes for all the pieces which means there are some like really big gaps in it which means that when there's a collapse, bits are going to fall down. And sometimes they'll fall down into a shallow thing, and you're like, that's easy to fish that out with a hook. But if things, if loads of things are falling down into the big deep hole where you keep all of the long wooden sticks, <laughs> then when it comes to cleanup, you're then going to have to be basically playing you know, operation with a, oh, a hook. You get a parad- the manu- it's the sort of thing that gets you disbarred from doctors' associations. <laughs> the, but The manual says that if things fall into deep holes like that, then players are actually not obligated to go and rescue them. But I way prefer your idea of get a pair of tweezers and send them in after that I mean, brick. I think there's a lot of fun with that. And the fact that if the manual recommends that, then already I'm like house rule. If like if thing, if like more than three things fall in, if you get them all out, then you get a rosette. Oh, or something, yeah. You know? like, why not? Yeah, like there's so yeah. much. But yeah, it really surprised me. Initially, I thought, oh, this is fun. But I find with dexterity games, it takes a lot to impress me these days because often I just think, yeah, you know, it's it's always kind of fun balancing things, moving things around. But this is great. This yeah. is really great. Couldn't agree. I can't wait for Pretzel Games' fourth game, whatever it's going to be. I want them to make games forever. Give them a break, Quins. They've only just made this one. I'll give them a rosette and then they can get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about a little game called Targi next. T-A-R-G-Y. No. <laughs> T- I can spell, Tar-gy? Mum. Targi. T-A-R-G-I. I. 
Yes. Well done. Hooray. Uh, it's a game, uh, it's a little Euro game, which I've wanted to play for a long time. For only two players. It's a very small box. Wow. You know, we like small boxes. Small box Euro game, two players? Right. This sounds right up my street. Yeah, so I thought exactly the same thing. The way it works is it, you are two competing tribes of Tuareg, the Tuareg people, who are in uh, not Saharan Africa. And interestingly, this is one of those games where the designer like did their homework. Um, they're a, a culture, an Islamic culture, where it's the men that cover their faces and the women don't, and it's like a sort of more matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's some fun trivia for you. They trade in pepper and dates and... I don't know. Anyway, the board itself is quite clever because it's um, a bunch of cards. You lay out a series of cards in a circle, and they're all worker placement spaces. So you've got north, where the ocean is, and then south, where the planes are or whatever but then uh so you've got you've got room for nine cards in the middle because it's five along the top five along each side which leaves a a three by three space in the middle for cards and then you deal out nine more random worker placement spaces so you've got a grid of basically 25 spaces of that's a lot whatever no because you can't use them all it's fine okay right i was gonna say but yeah teaching the (laughs) game like hell you do have to teach a bunch of them um but lots of them duplicate like this one is just get a salt because it has a picture of salt or whatever i can do that yep uh you're trying to make sets of things you're trying to collect goods you're trying to build up a little engine i don't want to talk too much about the specifics instead i'm going to talk about the central cool mechanic in it which is that you each have three workers that you can put on a card to get but you can't actually put your workers in the middle where the desert is instead You take turns putting workers around the edge of the desert. So maybe you're along the top and I'm on the side. And then what you do once you've placed all three workers is you draw sort of imaginary lines. And where those lines bisect, then you get the power of the space in the middle. Whoa. It's pretty cool, right? Um, Whoa, so it's triangulation. Well, biangulation, is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so... You mean like in the middle, providing there's a thing in the middle of their line? Yeah, exactly. So it's, because it's just, it's a grid, right? It's a grid of worker placement spaces. You put a worker... (laughs) I love that you're looking at me with the same face you do when I explain board games in real life. I'm just like, you said bisect, and I was like, I'm just going to roll with it and pretend (laughs) I know what that means and not going to interrupt the podcast, but now I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. Okay, imagine you put a guy on the on the left-hand side of the board, and you okay. get that work, you get a date. And then you put someone on the bottom-hand side of the board, which is a visit to the silversmith, which lets you trade dates for silver. Yes. Now, the guy on the left in the, is going to draw a horizontal line. The guy on right. the bottom draws a vertical line. Ah. And then where those two lines cross, there'll be a third card, and you also get that card. I get it. There you go. I just didn't know what bisect meant, but now I do. It mean, I think it's like where two things cross. Yeah, but I, I get now, because I was thinking it was going to be like, um, I think because we played Treasure Island not long ago, I was thinking, what's it actually like? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. So it's in the middle of a diagonal line. I was like, do you get rulers with it? But actually, it just being like, really, it's like you run along that column and then run along that row yes. or vice versa. It's more like Excel than like But I assume that gives you... Way options to two things it does because you have three workers right um but also it, it this is where the puzzle immediately comes from because it most worker placement games are like which reward do i want and that's nice whereas in this it's like oh i really want that reward and that reward but that would put my two workers on the same row which means i'm only going to get one card from the middle because i'm rather than drawing two lines i'm going to be drawing one mm. because they're both on the same line you see and you're also like oh i want i really want this reward around the edge but are any of these cards in the middle that I'm now drawing a line across good? No, not really. And so every space you have to weigh up with the value of the space that it will additionally get you. And it's really cute. Um, it was, uh, I made a couple of notes on my phone, but basically they are, it's really nice to play a worker placement game where you put a, it, it remembers the core of the genre, which is you put a worker on a place and then you and then you go, oh, that was a terrible idea. Or you put a worker on a place and your opponent goes, no, 
because you've ruined their plan. Yeah. It's very, very hard-edged, very bitey, very like, but in a really nice way. You're really, you're batting heads against each other, you know? It's possible to just, it's like a, a game with about seven or eight rounds and it's possible to end a round and look at your opponent and go, I did so badly this round. And your opponent's like, oh man, that's rough. And it feels like, you're not just sort of plodding along and getting resources in the manner of so many Euro games. You you really have good days and bad days, which is nice. You know, real mm-hmm. highs and lows, light and shade. Um, so yeah, Targi is not necessarily a game I would buy, but I would absolutely play it. And if two-player Euro games are your thing, I would absolutely look into it. And mm. I, I've heard they're going to be releasing the expansion in English uh, next year. So that's exciting, isn't it, Matt? Yes. Let's talk about something, a different game that everybody got excited about uh, this year, last year, this year, I think. Let's finally <laughs> deliver Shut Up and Sit Down's <gasps> verdict on maybe one of the most beautiful games ever made. Let's talk about Lisboa. Oh, it's a big blue boy. It's the bluest. It's the heaviest. It is, it, it's it's shockingly blue and shockingly mm. heavy. I love the, the art. I absolutely love the art. By Ian O'Toole. Uh, yes. Responsible. So this is Vital, designed by Vital Lacerda and illustrated by Ian O'Toole, who are responsible for a game that Shut Up and Sit Down really likes called Vinhos Deluxe, mm. a new uh, Ian O'Toole-ified version of Vinhos where you all run vineyards. And since making Vinhos, Vital Lacerda has been on a tear with games that Shut Up and Sit Down basically doesn't like at all because Paul didn't like Kanban. I finally tried the Gallerist with Paul recently and we don't like that game. And now Lisboa is the game that everyone's talking about. It's beautiful, it's blue, it's big. You and I played it. What did you think? I didn't like it very much. I didn't like it. I really wanted to like it and it sounded really exciting. It was one of those games where I patiently sat through the... um, the rules explanation, and I had no problem with that. Like, it was a game where, like, you explained it, and there was lots of things to take in, but I was like, I was up for it, I was excited, I was taking it all in, I thought, this is going to be really fun. And the promise was like, you know, you're going to go, and there's all this rubble, and because everything's been destroyed, but yeah, you're going to... it refers to a historical event where Lisbon was destroyed by an earthquake, and then the earthquake mm-hmm. caused a... No, sorry, then the earthquake caused a fire, mm-hmm. and then the earthquake caused a tsunami. So it was hit by really earthquake bad and fire. It was basically demolished, but a bunch of nobles were like, "We're going to be, we're going to rebuild Lisbon. It's going to be prettier than it's ever been." And you are those people, yeah. So you're going to have to do this by going out there and building buildings, using you know, clearing away the rubble, and then getting materials and stuff from the rubble to build new buildings to get the industry going. And you do that by going and visiting rich people like the king and. The, the the mayor you can uh, another guy you can one of the things you build might be like a, a shop that sells silks so and now you've got silk coming in and then you can send silk away on boats maybe the boats belong to you or another player and now you've got money that you can use to pay architects to design monuments that oh, are all but you need to get blueprints for the architect yeah before you do that and also it has some it really has some wonderfully thematic ideas like the fact that you can then have these workers who hang around in parliament and basically they're, they're your people who are there and having more people than other people in these different areas means that like when other players try to go and visit the the, uh, like the, the mayor or the king you've kind of got your like maybe your floozies your group your entourage uh, your entourage no, they're definitely historical floozies yeah, yeah being like oh and kind of oh mr king i'm basically getting in the way while someone's like i just want to have a word with you for a minute and they're like oh i'm just having tea with richard and, and james and and janet like, and so I'll you be can't there in really a moment. get your agenda so, to the meeting yeah, yeah so it means it's more expensive to basically get in and it's it's more difficult to do things it feels the the victory point currency in the game rather than just giving you points the po- <laughs> points are wigs 
Yeah. And the first player token is a wig because wigs were supremely valuable at this time. And that, if you know, I think the, th- the game kind of carries that across because, yeah, like you say, having your workers, not even workers, but getting your people, it's like, oh, I've got loads of people in sort of like the, uh, you know, the, the architect's On house. paper, I love it. And it's really interesting because a lot of the time you will read rules for a game and you'll go, oh, this just sounds quite boring. It doesn't sound like there's anything here. It doesn't sound like there's any bite. And then you play it and you're like, yeah, no, it is quite boring. Whereas this, you look at the board, you look at the setting, you read about it, you hear all the rules, you think that's clever, that's interesting. There's lots of rules that really align really nicely with theming. You think this is really cool. I was super hyped to roll up my sleeves, collect some rubble, turn that rubble into buildings to rebuild Lisboa. And before we go any further, we should say this game has won a bunch of awards from people who really yeah. love heavy games. Lots of people say it's like, you know, one of their games of the year. Yeah. We're not those people. No, I, I found it to be, unfortunately, it felt like a lot of hard work. And maybe that's just that this weight of game is slightly outside of my band of comfort. I don't know. Oh, no, but I, dis- I, I disagree. I tons of heavy stuff as well, and I love that. Yep. For me, the crucial thing was this process um, in having this like almost simulation level of steps of, of what you have to do to just build a building, to just do a thing. It just took ages. I'm- and I felt like it was just when I actually got to the point of... of following down this trail because it really is a trail it's like well you go here and you do this and you talk to this guy and you do this and then you get the permit and then you once you go and then you get you know. <laughs> well, we often had the thing of like oh i want to build this shop or whatever and this oh hang on i need money how do i get money oh i need to, to so do this to do this, this to, to do that. this to do and then this. you couldn't go to the actions that you would do by going to visit some of the nobles you could only go and do them if you could do that action and then i could which is powered by cards yeah and then i can't do this action because i don't have the money for that but how do i get the money well i have to do this but then i can't do that because i don't have this and it just felt like there was constantly things like you can't do this until you've done this that when you actually did a thing when i actually like built a building or triggered my building to create some gold or some silk so i could have some more money start again i didn't feel like excited or like yeah that was cool i felt relieved it wasn't like it was the opposite to me of like um you know like a Euro game I played recently and really got on with Alta Plano of being like quite gentle really and just like nice things yeah I made some more rugs and obviously you can play it well or play it badly but you're just constantly making things and doing things and it's quite satisfying to just be producing things making things happen and in this I felt every time I did something it was just relief it wasn't there was, <laughs> was no joy and that's that's work you know and that's that's what work feels like the way i would summarize it, it like my experience with it is that it is a game that is so generous in some ways and unbelievably stingy in terms of the yeah. actual game the art and what's on offer and the components you're getting it's like a feast it's you wonderful. know it's beautiful but then in terms of like when you're actually playing the game it, it is the least generous experience i have i've played maybe like all year you know it's pretty miserly yeah because in terms of how the economy functioned and how much it really asked of you in terms of concentration. But yeah, this is it. You know, every game is like you have to put in a certain amount of thought and consideration and then you get, the game gives you something. It gives you a reward or satisfaction or comedy or whatever. Whereas Lisboa, you would put so much thought into it and you have to give it this, the the puzzle of like how to actually do well was robust and hard. And I'm not going to say that it's not a, a well put, a, a well put together sort of puzzle, right? But in terms of actual reward that you are getting, it, it, there's nothing. You build a, you put, you might work for 15 minutes to get a new shop on a street, which gives you some points, and then nothing. You're back to like not square one, but square 
one point or maybe you've put in a lot of work to something and it's you know it does have that because you have this shared space where the buildings all get placed it does have that worker placement style thing if you might be spending like you know multiple turns moving towards just putting a building down then someone else just puts a building down in the same spot in the same spot and then it's like it's it's not just like oh i have to do it next turn it's like you can't do that now you need to completely rethink your plan and you've just spent like 20 minutes working towards this but i mean rethinking (laughs) that plan is kind of an interesting it is it's an interesting problem and that's why people like Lisboa. But for us, it's like, you know, we could be playing games where we have problems that are as complicated, but... You get something back. Yeah, you get something I back. think that's it, is it's more like you think, well, actually, I needed this. Um, this was the next part in the puzzle to doing this. I need to put this here so I could do this and do this. And it's like, well, now I can't do that. How do I even get to... It's just such a constant thing. And I think for me, the crucial thing is what I love about Euro games, even really complex, you know, granular stuff is I don't really care how well I'm doing. I just have fun playing with imagination. Like, yeah, that's it. You, you, you poke the engine, you see what happens, you see what you can do with this strategy. Yeah, sometimes I try to win, but often I think, I'm just going to try and play it like this and see what happens. Yeah. See how it goes and just enjoy that process. But in this, I think after one of the early scoring rounds, I just, I, as soon as I realised that like, I was like, you just shot ahead, you basically managed to pull something off and I was like, I'm just screwed. Like, And that was interesting. At that point, it just immediately became really uninteresting. I was like, okay, like I realised I was concentrating so hard, but all I was able to get out of it was the idea that I might win. And for me, I think that's not a great sign personally, because usually I'm not really interested in winning. No. I think that's fair to say. I, I just like playing things. And sometimes it can be quite exciting when you think you might win. But in Euro games, I really don't care. You, you wait till the end, you see who wins. And if you win, cool. If I don't, I've usually had a nice time moving things around. Yes. It almost reminds me of, uh, I, I quite like puzzle YouTube. And like puzzle is that thing where like, oh, it's two metal hooks in a bottle. How do you untie them? Or, oh, it's, you know, this little wooden handcrafted thing made in Hamburg. And you have to figure out how to take it apart and put it back together again. But like, those are hell for me. But I like watching other people do them. Because yeah. some people get a kick out of that. And Lisboa is that for me. It's like, I do not want to unpick this at all. No. Um, so yeah, but hey, I'm now going to move on to our game of the podcast. I'm probably going to use this one for the thumbnail image. It is, uh, Blackout Hong Kong. Uh, big thanks to Efka from No Pun Included for coming to my house and showing me some of his SM releases. Uh, we're going to be reviewing this one as soon as possible. This is a game by Alexander Pfister who made Great Western Trail and Isle of Sky, both games that Shut Up and Sit Down adores. And you know what, Matt? I don't know if, uh, Blackout Hong Kong is as good as those. I'll need to play it again, but it is... Really ruddy good. Oh, it's so good. I want to play it. Uh, I want to play it. I felt really uncharitable towards this game when I first started playing it because the board is like entirely black. The plot is that Hong Kong in the year 2020 suffers some kind of horrible weeks-long blackout and the players represent um, people who have to uh, try and keep the city running. The resources in the game are like medicine, water, food... Um, and the objectives that you're trying to fulfill might be like, get some schools running again, or distribute food to the people. You're trying to set up safe houses, and you're trying to get lines of communication back in the city. Um, but when I first looked at the board, which is definitely, it's not a pretty game. It's It looks okay, it's not ugly, but I wouldn't call it a you know, a good-looking game. It's interesting, because you've posted a, a, a photograph of it on the website, Instagram. Yes. Which is also available on mobile phones, if you'd like to follow us on mm. Instagram. You can do that. Shut up, and, shut up and sit down on Instagram. You heard about it here first. It's going to be a big website. But 
I thought from that photograph, they look really nice. Yes, it photographs okay or interestingly. I didn't, when I looked at pictures of it, I was like, is this an ugly game? Because the listed artist is actually Chris Williams, who's my favourite uh, art designer working in board games today. Um, but then finally, when I was actually sat in front of it and I could actually discover how it looked in person, I was like, it's fine. It's, it's very unexciting, is how I would describe it. Um, but yeah, it was funny because when I was being walked through the game initially with a very long rules explanation, it is more complicated than Great Western Trail. Um, uh, and I was even like, oh God, I, I wasn't sold on the high concept when I was taught the rules. Um, and I, I wasn't sold on the theme either. I was like, this has a lot of mechanics from other Euro games. I don't feel like, why are we in an Asian city? Why is it a blackout? And I actually felt like, because Alexander Pfister has done games like Mombasa that have this, uh, these colonialist and slightly problematic settings. And I was thinking to myself, is this what happens when a, a Euro game designer with an interest in problematic settings is suddenly told they can't do problematic and like in a panic has to be like, oh, it's set in Asia and it, you know, it's a blackout like pandemic because it does look a bit like pandemic as well. Yeah. So I was super cynical. And then about 25 minutes into actually playing the game, I, I'd looked at Efka and I was like, Oh, this is so good. Um, what you're doing is uh, you have a deck of cards, and this is a mechanic you might remember from Mombasa, which you and I didn't like that much. Um, I think I liked it more than you did. You did, yeah. yeah. Um, but it has my favourite mechanic from Mombasa, although not as good as it was in Mombasa, um, whereby you've got a deck of cards. They're the people in your sort of task force. And the game never makes it clear whether you're like working for the government or a criminal gang. You're just some people who are getting stuff getting done. Getting it done, right? Don't you're ask getting questions. it done. Like, I'm Don't giving you rice. Questions. Don't ask where it came from. Um, and these uh, cards are like individual. So you might have uh, a a card where you can play it and it'll get whatever the blue dice is that turn. Because you roll these dice, and this is where some of the theme comes through. You roll dice with pictures of resources on, which means all blue cards this turn can provide food. All yellow cards can, all, uh, can provide medicine. But you might have multiple turns in a row where there is no medicine, where there is no food, there is no water. Mm. Um, and you have to try and do some nice guesswork. Some of that, like, nice fun gambling that we saw in Great Western Trail of being like, hmm, I really... If gasoline is available next turn, that will be great. But then it's not, or it is. Um, so you're playing these cards into stacks. You're using them for their ability. You have special abilities, like the leader who can get batteries, which, let me tell you, a battery mat, as we know in real life, can become anything. They're a wild resource. Mm -hmm. The mechanic, uh, people can... Uh, turn tools into money. Um, bandits and thugs can go out and just get you cash. Uh, but you play these cards into stacks to to get all their rewards, and that's most of your turn. But then at the end of your turn, only if your hand is small enough, you pick up one of the stacks you've played right, nice. with the most people in it. Which means you've you've got some consideration of like, which cards do I want to get back now? Which cards am I going to lock into just a very small stack that I'm not going to get back for ages? Um, I feel like I, I'm going to try describing some other mechanics that are like a bit more exciting um, because the reason it's good is not necessarily any individual mechanic, but just how it all comes together in this glorious sticky puzzle where every turn you're you're doing really well and you're getting more stuff, but is it fast enough? And there's so many considerations and yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm babbling. It's one of those things where I'm going to sit down, play a bunch and then bash out 2,000 words for the video scripts where yeah. that will maybe express why it's good. I'm, I'm desperate to play it. Like, I'm, I cannot wait to check well, it out. I mean, hey, that's good. Um, but yeah, so it has a an area control element. That's one of the central... What The board you've looked at, which is all black, that has like little houses on it, 
Um, by fulfilling certain objectives, you can put cubes on the board, which is sort of your network that you slowly, slowly expand across the board. And if you can fully encircle regions on the board, then you then score them based on how big they are. Ah. Right? If other players have got cubes that are also on the same network, then they're going to score points as well. So there's a sort of a bit of a race to like bring all the lights back on and draw little circles around sections of Hong Kong. Once you encircle a region, also, you'll remember this from Great Western Trail, you can then put a safe house in it, but which safe house you put down unlocks a different special ability uh -huh. on your player. Uh -huh. um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of different uh, sort of cogs moving at once, but it's all really solid. It all really works. And uh, yeah, it's, it was one of those games where I sort of found myself staring at it, kind of like how when you've played Sidereal Confluence for the first time and you turned to me and turned to him and she went, oh, this is so good, because that puzzle was just sort of like unfurling in your mind like a flower and you were getting so excited by all yeah. the different things you could do. Well, I felt like that when we played Mombasa, to be honest, and I found like actually towards the end of the game, it didn't hang together as well. But I think the reason I got sucked into that a little bit more was because I uh, went for the upgrade early on that allowed me, I think instead of having four piles, I had five piles. Yes, and that is actually in Blackout Hong Kong. Nice, because that was just insane of being like really then having the game being about having to plan two, three, four turns ahead. And in a way it made it more complicated, but also made it easier because you're having to plan your actions. But this sounds like with the dice coming up where you have resources that are not going to be fixed. Yeah. Sounds like that's going to be... Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, there's a, it has um, almost like a hallmark of his designs now is having this random chance, but then also... And, and I think Uwe Rosenberg did this in Feast for Odin as well. Having random chance, which really doesn't fit at odd with players religiously planning their turns, but then having abilities to mitigate that. So, for example, you have a bunch of cars, like little van tokens or transportation tokens, and you can spend one at any point to sort of go... Uh, all the resources are in a circle. So if you spend a van, you can push like the result of a red dice, which might be medicine, onto either of the two adjacent spaces, so you can kind of drive around the circle. So you can, if you just don't have what you need and you really want it, you can get it. Mm. If you need to place a cube on your network, but further away, you can drive further away. But then it's one of those lovely things of like, okay, how do I get more vans? Oh my God, oh, oh, ah. Oh. And then you track the uh, the sort of, the task list you have to do of A to B to C to D. Only so many vans in the ocean. That's, that's what they always say. There was a lot more vans in the ocean in my game after I drove them, presumably all into the sea, because once you spend a van, it's gone. Gone. Goodbye, sweet van. It's toast. I knew you not. And interestingly, this is kind of topical. Do you remember how um, one of the things that Neon Gods didn't have from City of Remnants is in City of Remnants, the original game, when you got in a gang fight, you shuffled your hand and lost a gang member at random. Yeah. That is actually in Blackout Hong Kong. So it's it's weird. It's like it vanished from this series. But has, well, you have fights in this, do you? Uh, you don't. You send you at any on your turn. You have a kind of free action you can always take, which is to explore a region. You send right, people okay. off into the darkness, and depending see what on what you can find and see what you can find, and those people will bring something back. But one of them at random will become injured. And then you have doctor cards that can bring injured people back. But it's that thing of looking at your hand and going, oh, I've got this really great card, the politician who you spent God knows how much money on. But then a bunch of starter guys. And it's like, you know, who you started the game with and you go, I could explore. But A, you don't know what you're going to find if you explore. You don't know if you're going to... Might break the politician's legs. And the politician legs. might end up with broken legs. And then where's the doctor? Oh, the doctor is in that stack. The small stack because you thought, I, never won't, coming I home. won't need a doctor. Oh, I'm, I'm sold. I'm completely sold. This sounds like I really love that multi stack mechanic in Mombasa but it was just like eh, some spice or something where actually having characters and this idea of like thematically it makes so much more sense immediately of being like you have this team going off doing this and this team going 
know this and when are they coming back and yeah specifically that mechanic was i was really excited about as well i've got to admit it's not as exciting as you are making okay it doesn't it 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 operates in the exact way you are describing, but practically I never had a difficult time just picking people back up or it didn't have the thing in Mombasa where you lock a card in accidentally and then go, oh no, because there's no way to get it back. Yeah, fair enough. But it does have a nice thing of, you might try and build stack ups because so many of the objectives are like, oh, you need two red people and two purple people in one stack and then you can complete this objective. So you're sort of building up and sending people away. It's it's just lovely, yeah. I, I will only stop talking about it now because we're going to be doing... We're definitely going to be doing a big video review of this because it is lovely. Wicked. Well, I can't wait to uh, train my way down to Brighton and play it with you sometime soon. Boom. Games. Games, 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 games. Put your hand in my mailbag for me a letter. So, we actually physically now have... A mailbag, which was very kindly given to us at Shucks. And uh, we it's got a bunch of letters in it. And I've got to say, we're gonna, we've are gonna we read all of these. We've, we haven't read all of them, but we're reading all of these. We've read some of them. We're not going to read them all out on the podcast because a lot of these letters were provided very wonderfully um, by people on the forums. But they're quite long. They're not really podcast material, but they're lovely. And we're reading them all. And uh, thank you, thank very, you much. very much. If you wrote us a letter and put it in a physical mail, I was wondering if, like, should we take this along to other conventions like Packs Unplugged and people can fill the mailbag with letters? I think it's a really lovely idea. We'd have to let people know well in advance, but I think maybe we should do that, especially because we've got two. We've got one which is a mailbag which we're using to store letters, and one which is a mailbag which is a mailbag backpack. Isn't this illegal? Like having actual post <laughs> mailbags is like you know against the law or something. Well, I think it's got kind of bright orange embroidery. It just says mailbag on it. I think it's about as like obviously not uh, <laughs> an official an mail. Official if mail. it is the mailbag of a country, it's a very small, impoverished country that yeah. you cannot afford graphic Lovely designers. machined embroidery in this country. So, yeah, I'm going to pull out a letter from the mailbag. Oh, look at this. You're actually reaching into a physical bag. Okay. Turns out, and we should have known this from being board game reviewers, but physical objects are nice. It turns out. So this is a letter from Scar Dave, Maplewood, New Jersey. Imagine for a moment that we live in a world without chess. And let's pretend that Alexander Graham Chess is releasing chess tomorrow for the first time. How do you think it will be received in the board game community? Oh, it's such a good question. I think very badly. I think it... I mean, oh my goodness. First off, it would have to have a theme, wouldn't it? Exactly. Otherwise, it would just sink without a trace. It's got no art. (laughs) Literally no art. The graphic design, admittedly, is pretty cool. I think the theme doesn't really hang together that well. Like people do go crazy for like um uh you know wooden games these days. If if it was released with like carved wooden pieces, people would it would definitely turn heads. And then people would have to describe it as like, it's kind of like checkers, but super complicated. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's quite dry. People will be like, yeah, but... I th- Why I does think, the castle move? I think the difficulty is, is it's like, this is... You quite quickly get into butterfly effect of being like, but if chess didn't exist, then... I mean... W- where would... What would everything else be like now? Oh, no. Because <sighs> it's such an iconic design and has been such a... like. The world of metaphors would be much impoverished. <laughs> it would, but also, like, how many people who are designing games now have have played chess once, or, like, you know, know of chess? Yes. It's it's like one of those things, like, you know, even if you don't try and make a game like chess, it might be the opposite. You try and not make, make a game that is not like chess. <laughs> I don't know. It's like in the same way, if you know popular writers, then you might know how to write like them, and you use that to make sure you don't write like them. Yeah, I suppose. That all I can think of is like I really liked games as a kid, but when I sat down to play chess, I never 
enjoyed it. No, it, it it was it's it's a slow slog. It's brutal. It doesn't it's have brutal. enough colors. <laughs> There's no colors. Bad characters. There's no sound effects. The queen is great. The but queen apart is great. From that, like the pawns. Have I talked about my queen trivia on the podcast? That the the kind of I I, I it's a huge apologies to everybody if I've already told this story. But it's such a good story. I'll tell it twice. The version of chess we play today is called the Mad Queen's Game, because originally in chess the queen was just like it moved like the king. But um, then someone, I think in Italy, was like, what if the queen could move in like in all eight directions, but as far as she wants? And that was known as, oh, this, like, this stupid variant is the Mad Queen's game. But everyone liked it so much that it's the version we play today. It's a lot of fun. It was like, a spin-up, what, of the queen? Yeah, it's the most exciting thing about chess. It's like, oh, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. Boom, anything's happening now. I just <laughs> ate your bishop. Yeah. You're going to die. I mean, but is it is it fun? Is chess fun? I mean, it's got a really slow tutorial section where you have to move the pawns forward and do that stuff. I think that's the thing is I think that crucially the thing about chess is that those early moves are so important and so fundamental to the structure because it's such a structural game Yeah, that what you do in the first few moves is massively instrumental about how well you're going to do. But to the untrained eye, that bit is boring. Yes. You're just waiting for a fight. You're waiting to get your horse out there and then your horse gets eaten. The your horse... <laughs> Your horse gets eaten by a castle. Yeah. I mean, I think in, you know, we're, we're living in a very visual age right now. And I think you really struggle to to sell something like chess on Instagram. Well, we're also, oh, I don't know. Well, it depends on the set. But yeah, depends you, on the you, set. you struggle yeah. to make chess affordable. That's for sure. If it, if it looked good then, and was made of wood, then someone would be selling it for like 120 euros. And people would be like, this game's all right. I think people would be like, it's very outdated. Where there's no cards. Like, I feel that like this should be some, oh God, this some is, battle this cards you can put down. Depressing me. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's the thing that makes chess good, which is that, you know, you need to be able to see so many moves ahead you know people i often get frustrated in chess because i i'm in situations i can't get out of but well, i say this i haven't played chess in years but like that's i'm in crap situations because i didn't move my pawns right eight turns ago you know i should have unlocked more pieces but maybe there should be like a traitor mechanic oh you're just saying things to wind me up now <laughs> it's i think it's a imagine re- that though if halfway through the game someone flips a card and your bishop is their bishop the d- <gasps> i think I, I definitely talked about this on a podcast ages ago but a company released uh steve jackson games maybe released a set of cards called nightmare chess which were like cards that gave chess mad rules like you know you play a card and then a chasm opened up that meant all pieces on the middle of the board would fall in and then only pieces that could move multiple spaces could cross it there were i think like traitors there were like pieces that became undead and came back every stupid idea dumb and i don't like it i kind of want it well we're we're not seeing eye to eye on this this (laughs) revisioning of chess at all however what i would say would be really fun imagine just chess right but with the combat rules of X-Wing. So you have different cards for different pieces. And if your if your pawn tries to attack their pawn and like you you know, no one if no one gets killed, they yep. both roll dice, no one gets killed, but it means it's unsuccessful for attack. You just swap places like they just like they've flown past oh, each wow, other. Oh wow, like in a samurai duel. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was a dumb idea until now. Right. Imagining, yeah. And then like you do it, but then what happens is like, you know, like if you if you move the is it the Rook, the castle? Is that what they're called? The uh, Rook. The Rook, yeah. 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 Just call it a castle. It's a, it's a, it's a, horse, it's a little castle. Yeah. Uh, the castle, horse. I don't know I don't know what would happen with a horse. I don't know how a horse would become like... 
maybe the horse would move slightly to one side or whatever. The reason I just feel so sorry for like whatever the guy's name, like Richard P. Chess now, because you, what you're saying right now is like the pub, is like the head of fantasy by being like, yeah, I could publish this, but have you seen our X-wing dice? Like, yeah, these custom dice really exactly. sell games. But it'd be now. great because you got the rook, and the rook smashes into something. It rolls the dice. Oh, it's a miss. It means it just keeps going. I mean, and then what, it hits the next thing. As Richard Chess is listening, a single tear falls out of his eye. And then when the rook, because the rook's attack hasn't worked, it smashes past the first person, but then it hits. When you hit the wall at the end, if you've not hit anything, then you you take the damage dial underneath your oh god your rook and you you take a damage. It'd be great. It'd be absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so we can agree. We don't think chess would do well. Isn't you that could have Luke Skywalker riding a horse? Uh, your Star Wars. You could have pilots. You on put it in the horses, Star Wars universe uh, for for a start. Oh god, yeah. Star Wars X-wing. Oh, chess. you know what? You could theme I it around. This is... You could theme it around the weird hologram chess they play in Star Wars. Mister Navarro. Get in touch. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up It's a Town podcast, everybody. And hey, we've had a lot of new listeners recently. If that's you, we haven't said this in ages, but can you just open up your little podcasting software and give us a review? Oh. I, we, uh, this is a thing people used to do back in the early days of podcast, Matthew, before you and I were alive. Rate and subscribe. Yeah, because uh, then it improves discoverability. And if lots of people have a nice review, when people search for our podcast, it's fair. I mean, podcasts are just like a hellscape now. Or whatever you're listening to, you could be, <laughs> the kids are probably listening to this on some kind of like weird egg. But, you know. I think I, everyone listens to podcasts on Skype now. It's, it's come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> sure well whatever you use whatever you do uh, yeah give us a rating that would be lovely also we're doing a bunch of stuff lots of people just listen to the podcast but obviously you know we have the YouTube channel with amazing reviews and we're doing stuff on Twitch as well I don't know how much we've mentioned that in the podcast but we're doing uh, another live stream live streams every couple of weeks yeah actually you know what the day after we release this so the Thursday Matt and I are going to be playing Whoopah! Street Masters. I forgot the name of the game there. I did the sound effect and then forgot the name you of the game. You lost your momentum after yeah, the punch sound. Exactly. We're going to be having kung fu fights with villains on a board. And we're going to be dressing up. Matt doesn't know this yet. What? I'm going to be getting some cheap t-shirts, well, cutting off the arms. I was going to say, I hope this dressing up is less problematic than your sound effects, sir. Well, then that, you, you, people of all races can make chop socky sound effects. That's true. You just proved that. So, yeah, we're going to be dressing up with... with uh, so I'm going to look like Ryu from Street Fighter. There apparently. is an... Ex- well, I, it's, the game is best with two, which is why I thought it'd be great for you and I to play on a stream. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, there is an expansion that's like themed around Double Dragon that I have. We could be like the two the men. The Double Dragon men. Yes. The yeah, most who, iconic every <laughs> Yeah, we could dress up like that, you know. I feel like oh, if, wow. we, if we dress up in karate geese, though, we will just look like the Nightman from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, we'll, we'll work it out. But yeah, so that's going to be fun. We're releasing this podcast on a Wednesday. If you listen to them real fast, we're doing uh, we're doing uh, yeah the stream on the Thursday. But you know what? If you listen to this in the future, don't worry because the day after that, we're going to be uploading it to YouTube. But what you a treat! You'll just have missed out on all the cool commenting community. I love our commenters on Twitch. Yep, they're a lovely bunch. They are so much fun. Uh, what are you going to do now with the rest of the day, Matthew? I'm going to do uh, some admin. Oh. Lovely bit of admin. Yeah, some f- I've got a phone call. A podcast with a bit of colour. Oh, I've got a phone call. I've got to make it to an international phone call. I might go uh, to the shops. Ooh. Well, that just means you, it's annoying because it's like, oh, can we have a phone call in the morning? And you're like, yeah, oh, that sounds great. But it's like a morning means like two in the afternoon. And you're like, well, that's my day. That means I have to be here so I can be on Skype. Reality of James Bond living. Um, and then, yeah, I'm going to go to the shops, get some lunch. Sweet bit of lunch. What are you going to eat? Give me something. I don't know, mate. I'm quite, I'm quite hungry, actually. Okay. We've been working hard. We could go get lunch together. We could do that, yeah. Like best friends. Best friends leading the way. 
it's quite hard to high five on this podcast. I think I put my back out doing that. Right, let's end this podcast. We're so old. I'm going to die. Goodbye. Goodbye.